Hi, I'm April. And I'm Sam. And welcome to Current Climate. Join us each week as we learn more about what we can do to help the natural world with small changes and big actions. Before we start today's episode, I'd like to share two quotes I found. The first is from a 350.org article written by Rel Brown and Natalia Cardona. There is no just recovery for climate without addressing the systematic extraction, harm, and violence towards Black communities. Building a movement rooted in the needs of those most oppressed is the only way we can achieve liberation for all. The second quote is from a Washington Post article by Ayana Johnson. To white people who care about maintaining a habitable planet, I need you to become actively anti-racist. I need you to understand that our racial inequality crisis is intertwined with our climate crisis. If we don't work on both, we will succeed at neither. Both of these articles will be linked in the show notes, and I hope that you are able to check them out. Hi guys, you made it to our second episode. Congratulations. We're so proud of you. (laughs) Um, So we're going to start this off by doing a little uh, recap of how last week went, how our challenge went. Um, So Sam, kick kick it off. How did it go for you? Sure. So I went ahead and I made my compost pile. Um, And that was hard. Honestly, that was hard. I made up my own design, which is probably where the issue was. Um, I went to Home Depot. I got a, a bucket. Wood- I didn't. You know, I should. Oh, <laughs> I used a Home Depot bucket. I yes. wasn't lying. <laughs> I'm glad that you follow through on that. Right. So I got wood wooden lattice, and then I got like just tiny little posts for it, and then I asked them to saw like because they can cut wood there for you, and I asked them to do the wooden lattice. And I was waiting in line for the person to do it for me. And they were like, yeah, sure. And then once it was my turn, they were like, oh, wait, no, I can't do that. It'll splinter. And I was like, cool. <laughs> so I had to borrow, <laughs> I had to borrow a handsaw from my mother-in-law. I was like on the floor of the garage sawing away at this thing. Um, <laughs> and it took a while. And um, it definitely would have been a very, very easy project if they had cut it for me there. But because I was handsawing, I was just like, what did I do to myself? But honestly, it really came together. Um, I used a power drill, like basically for the first time. I did break a drill bit. It's still in my compost fence. Um, it forever will be there. But uh, overall, it was pretty successful. Um, yeah. And oh, and we got a Twitter. So I'm going to put pictures of my compost on our Twitter. You can follow us. It's current climate underscore. And we also now have an email. Um, it's currentclimatepodcast at gmail.com. This will all be in the show notes. But that way, if you participated this past week or you have a compost pile and you want to show it off, you can DM us, add us on Twitter, send us an email, let us know what you're thinking. And of course, we would be excited to hear from you regarding this week's episode as well. So yeah, I got it all set up. Good to go. I did forget some stuff to put in my little pale inside I definitely threw out some cabbage and didn't realize until it was too late um for like three days I was putting eggshells in the trash and then I remembered that like when I live with my mom 
we definitely put eggshells in the compost. And I was like, oh, I can do that, I guess. And, uh, but overall, yeah, it was fine. Um, my husband was on board. My roommate was on board. Love seeing them pull the pail lid off and just like throwing like watermelon rinds or like, you know, they're cooking and putting it in there. Um, so that was good. And yeah, I'm definitely going to keep it up. It wasn't an issue by any means. You know, once it Can was Can I made. just ask though, yeah. what is your plan for the compost? What um, are you going to do with it? Oh, that's a great question. Because I, that was every time I went out and I put a banana peel in the bucket, I thought, what am I going to do with this? I live in a condo. I don't have a garden. What right. am I going to do with this old <laughs> banana peel once it's no longer recognizable as a banana peel? Yeah, and I don't have a garden right now. I do want to have a garden next year. I kind of, it was a little too late in the season to get um, vegetable plants, too late in the season to start from seeds. So I'm like, eh, next year. Um, which is good because then I have a full year to kind of build up some compost and I wouldn't necessarily have to buy anything compost rather like I probably need to get some stuff but um I don't know for me I just feel good knowing that I'm not putting it in a landfill like at least it'll break down and become soil again you know mm-hmm. okay so I asked you to go first because it was going to be way more positive than my uh, <laughs> personal experience with composting from this week. So I got my Home Depot bucket. I did not put a fence around it. Uh, I did not go to Home Depot for the bucket. I already had it. I oh, was using it to hold my dryer lint and clean out stuff from my pockets in the laundry room. But I sacrificed that for this compost challenge. <laughs> And then I realized, because we've been kind of like in quarantine and going to the store a lot less, um, at first I didn't have anything to put in it. I didn't have any like fresh fruit fruit scraps or vegetable peels or eggshells because we like we've been doing frozen vegetables and frozen fruits for stuff and um, not a whole lot of waste. So I had coffee grounds. Um, That's good. Yeah, that was cool. And then the second issue is who even gets a newspaper anymore? <laughs> so when I started it, I was like, okay, Sam said it's got to be, uh, what was it? Uh, a two to three ratio for browns to greens? Two to one. Two so. to one. So I needed newspaper or cardboard or something and I didn't have it. So I had to wait leave. for the weekly paper to come. They're not my leaves. They belong to the condo association. <laughs> the dry <laughs> leaves and the tree line. Not allowed to touch those. What if they get mad at me? I'm not trying to like have my fees up or <laughs> get kicked out of the condo association. Um, but okay. So um, we did have some like stuff that fell on the deck. So that went in there. Um, yeah. And then that was when it hit me like, why... I don't think I am the target demographic for composting okay. because I don't see myself ever having a garden. Okay. Number one. Fair. Number two, I don't pay for trash. So a big incentive in composting is it reduces the weight of your garbage, of your town's garbage, of whatever, and then it costs less to get rid of it. 
And I'm like, okay, well, we don't pay for any of that. Again, it's all in the condo fees. You know, I'm not taking their leaves. They can take my garbage. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was like, why are we even doing this? But then for work, I had to like find out how much landfill capacity is left in the United States. And there's like plenty of it. But the way you talk about landfill capacity is in years. Um, and that's like weird. So, you know, Ohio is, is a big state for landfills and they have like 35 years left in landfill capacity, which is like, wow, that's a lot of time. But then it's like, oh wait, no, it's not (laughs) 35 years. We've been making trash, you know, in the United States for over 200 years like yeah that's not a whole lot of time so I have come around to composting in theory I still don't know what I'm gonna do with this bucket of coffee grounds and (laughs) uh you know my weekly town paper but I tried it it was okay it's not like it's hard Mm mm-hmm they like you know I wasn't sawing down a fence or anything <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. like, and it wasn't hard to get the boyfriend on board it's just you know two extra steps to put it in the Home Depot not sponsored bucket um as opposed to the garbage can so mm-hmm. you know maybe we'll keep doing it but I don't know what I'm gonna do with it ever right yeah and I think that's fair and I don't know that you necessarily need to like the good thing about getting frozen veggies is that you will eat all the veggies that are in the bag. You do get a bag. So like from the zero waste movement, it's not as ideal because at least the peels and things, the scraps can return to the earth and that bag can't. But from like a day to day, I'm just trying to be environmentally conscious and not trying to be like 100% perfect. It, you know, I think that's fine. And I also think it's fine to just not compost if you don't have a ton of compostable waste and if you're not going to use it. Um, I like it, I, but I was also raised with it. Like, that's the thing. But I, I'm glad to see that you were like, well, it wasn't hard because I guess maybe that was my concern, like that you were going to be like, this isn't worth my time. This isn't worth it. But I'm glad that at least. No, it it's like, literally so easy. It's a bucket full of stuff. Yeah. Um, and like, so it's not hard. It's just like thinking in the future, like what do I do with it is probably the most complicated part. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm just going to give it to you. Okay. I'm and okay make with it that. your problem. Okay. <laughs> do I get to keep the bucket? Absolutely not. I need it for batting practice. <laughs> so we're going to try um, splitting this week into a couple different sections. And this first section is lit litigation. You're going to tell me if this, is, if this case is on fleek or weak. I just wanted to give a rundown um, of a big climate case out in California that's had some recent progress. Technically, it's two cases on the same topic um, and the same defendants, so I'm going to talk about them um, kind of interchangeably. Okay. Basically, for three years, um, a bunch of California cities have been suing fossil fuel companies like Chevron and ExxonMobil um, and all of those guys for their contribution to climate change. 
but not only their contribution to climate change, but the fact that they were actively trying to mislead the public and governments about the science of climate change. Um, and so these towns are requesting damages because sea level rise will eventually affect their coastal towns in California. One study uh, estimated that California is going to need to spend $22 billion. Billion. Billion, billion with a B on seawalls. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Um, <sighs> Jeff Bezos, help us now, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> where is he when you need him? Um, and so they're saying, the study said that that's going to happen by 2040. Well, that is coming up real quick. That's not a lot of time to pull together 22 billion. And so these towns are saying that because these big oil companies misled the governments and scientists or with false science for so long, that they should have to pay part of it. Um, so basically uh, in 2018, San Francisco and Oakland brought their suit against the oil companies. Um, and it was dismissed after uh, they tried to inform the judge, give like a tutorial of how climate science actually works. Uh, the judge eventually said that state courts weren't the proper place to deal with the issues. Um, something like climate change, which is such a big overarching issue, he said it had to be federal court. So those cities appealed. Then, you know, in other parts of California, you had Imperial Beach, Richmond, and Marin um, also suing these oil companies. And their judge said that state court was the proper place for it. And the oil companies appealed. Okay. So right. let's all get so on the same page, guys. Right. So we've got these two cases that are now in the same position, but getting there from opposite approaches. One being told it's federal, one being told it's state. It's crazy. The cities want to be heard in California state court because this is a nuisance case, saying that the oil companies um, harmed them. And state courts are a little bit more favorable to nuisance lawsuits. So I have a question about law. that. Yes. N nuisance. What exactly does that mean? So a public nuisance... Um, is an act, condition, or thing that's illegal because it interferes with the rights of the public. So a public right being clean air, or mm. in this case, um, the right not to be flooded by sea level rise, <laughs> to not have the homes and businesses damaged, the right to property, um, all of which could be interfered with sea level rise, which is caused by climate change. Okay, gotcha. Um, climate science. 99% of scientists agree on climate science. Um, a lot of the ones who don't have been paid by these oil companies or by other large greenhouse gas emitters. Um, so the science is there that their operations are causing climate change, which is causing the sea level rise. So you can kind of draw that direct connection that what they're doing and the fact that they're not doing it in a safe way is going to cause sea level rise and damage to homes and businesses. Um, right. So, the, so they're like, basically give us 22 billion, like fix this. Yeah. 
So the cities wanted to be heard in state court because of uh, it's more favorable to nuisance lawsuits, but the fossil fuel companies wanted to be heard in federal courts um, because they're saying that these disputes have international dimensions. Um, federal regulations are the best way to handle it. It's beyond the scope of uh, the judicial system. Um, and now, just as a note, federal courts are filled with a lot more conservative judges that may be more pro-business and anti-regulation. Um, so definitely a reason for an oil company to want to be in federal court. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these big issues that are multifaceted, multi-state, multinational, get handled in state court. Um, like tobacco has been a state issue. The op opioid crisis is a state issue. Lead paint regulation, that varies state to state. So, you know, it's not the best argument that these oil companies can't be heard in state court because it's too big. Plenty of big things are. Gotcha, yeah. Um, and the cities are also not asking for regulation. They don't want a big overarching change. They just want their 22 bill and then they're going to GTFO. They don't care. <laughs> they yeah. want their money. They want their damages. And after that, like, I, it'll pave the way for other cases to see these oil companies. Mm -hmm. But they're, they don't need anything else from them once they get their money. So they're not arguing for that. They just don't want to be left holding the bag when it comes to sea level rise. Yeah. Um, so these two appeals came up this week, and uh, everything's going to be staying in state court. That was the ruling. The San Francisco and Oakland case were incorrectly moved to federal court. So now the next step is to hear these cases in state court for real, mano y mano, mano y big oil company. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, like, We'll see what happens there. And the California lawsuits are part of a much larger wave of litigation against oil companies and large greenhouse gas emitters. New York City had a lawsuit against oil companies. Um, it was dismissed. And there was a federal suit, um, young people looking to sue uh, companies that were large emitters, um, which was also dismissed. But suits continue in... Maryland, Colorado, Washington, Rhode Island, and more. They're all over the place. Um, so I just wanted to put this case and others on your radar, because uh, hopefully it means big things in the fight against climate change. Hit them where it hurts, right in the wallet. Mm -hmm. So was that lit? Was that on fleek? Weak? What do you think? <laughs> I think that was some lit litigation. I really like that people, you know, really like citizens are doing one of the most American things and just suing the heck out of these oil companies. <laughs> USA. USA. <laughs> Sue them. Yeah. 100%. But, but it's like, that's something they actually care about. I think that they'll, they would put so much money into lobbyists if this was coming through the legislature, you know, but it going through the oh, court 100%. system. Yeah. Going through the court system, I think is a little bit more direct. And I think if we all keep an eye on it and are aware of it and 
can learn from it for future cases, I think it's going to have a lot of value for all of us. I agree. Keep it on the radar. Sweet. Thanks, April. All right. So our next segment today is called Policy Pizza. It's a small slice of a big policy pie. This week, I am also looking at big oil. Um, there was a act introduced in the Senate on May 5th, and it's still waiting to be approved by a committee. So I thought it would be good to, you know, bring awareness to this act. And there's also petitions you can sign um, to support it, letters you can send to your Congress folks. So it's a good thing to know about. And it is called the Rewind Act which stands for Resourcing Workforce Investments, Not Drilling. And I gotta say, these legislators, they're so good at naming things. <laughs> I mean, so it's good. nothing if there's not a good name on it. Right? So this is a direct response to the CARES Act, also great name, Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act. So good. So on point. Well-named. Can I get a job where I just do the names for bills and don't have to do anything else related to the bills? Because that would be great. Um, so the CARES Act was passed to help with, of course, coronavirus. And it was passed with some things in it that not everyone was a fan of. Um, Democrats were concerned that oil companies and other fossil fuel companies would be able to take advantage of the CARES Act for their own gain. When the real intention of it, a lot of people feel, is to help people and small businesses in the country deal with this crisis. So this Rewind Act, appropriately named, is to rewind some of the things that came from the CARES Act. And it specifically prevents fossil fuel companies from receiving aid due to the CARES Act. So I'm going to break down the several different things that this act is going to do if it is passed. The first thing is that it prevents fossil fuel companies from receiving loans and loan guarantees under the CARES Act. Basically, it's preventing taxpayers from bailing out big oil companies. Cool. All about it. Right? <laughs> the second thing is that it prevents banks that use the CARES Act from investing in fossil fuels for two years. So basically, the legislators who put this bill forward, they want to prevent banks from having ownership of any physical commodities because they believe that will lead to a corrupt activity and market manipulation and that taxpayers should have no part in, you know, we're, we're paying for the CARES Act as citizens. So if it's being used by banks to help invest in fossil fuels, Basically, Bullshit. yeah, we don't want that. <laughs> so that's the second thing. Very similar to the first, but aiming at banks directly rather than the fossil fuel companies. The third thing it does is it prohibits new federal fossil fuel lease sales until the pandemic is over. So basically, even while this pandemic has been going on, the Department of the Interior has been leasing federal land to oil companies. They leased 78 million acres in federal Gulf of Mexico waters for oil drilling in March. They're trying to move forward with virtual public hearings regarding the lease sale of more land, more federal land, and this act really wants to prevent that from happening while this crisis is going on, while people are distracted and they can't really speak up and say, 
please don't do this. Don't lease this land. You know, they got other stuff on their mind besides our environment. That's a great point. Like, it is so important to attend public hearings and public meetings on the things you care about. And public input is like, at these meetings is the only way you can get heard. You've got to write the letters. You've got to take the time. You've got to make the calls. You've got to show up. And who can do that right now? Right. Who's got the mental capacity, the emotional capacity? Everybody's just trying to like get by day to day without having to think like, oh, shoot. Yeah, they're drilling in the oceans, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Not me this time. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Okay, so then the fourth thing it does is it caps the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, the SPR, at its current physical limit of 714.5 million barrels. So, do you know what that is? Because I didn't know what that was. The SPR? Yeah, I'm going to guess. That's just like how much oil the country has ready to go at one time. Yeah, basically. Um, So there are four salt mines along the Gulf of Mexico where our government has all of these barrels of oil stored for an emergency in a case where, you know, another country where we really rely on their oil, if there's a crisis going on, we have something to rely on. Um, The other thing that this act will do regarding the Strategic Petroleum Reserve is it will clarify that privately owned oil cannot be stored there because basically um trump wanted to buy oil to put in the reserve and congress did not approve that so then he was trying to lease space in the reserve to oil companies so they want to pass this act to prevent anything like that from happening and then the next thing it does i thought this was interesting so when the government has federal land and oil companies drill on it any oil they sell from the federal land they have to pay a royalty on like with music like (laughs) a royalty which i think is pretty cool and the rewind act wants to make sure that the royalty rate of 12.5 percent for that oil being sold isn't decreased because it seems like they were considering doing that that would incentivize oil companies to drill on federal land even more so becomes cheaper for them so this act this rewind act is supported by organizations like the sierra club greenpeace usa 350 action climate justice alliance national resources defense council and many other green groups so it has a lot of oomph behind it from a lot of organizations who are emailing and reaching out to their supporters and letting people know about this but I think it's something that we all should be aware of and put pressure on our own representatives. I think that's great. And that's definitely something to have on the radar, not just um, the act, but what it's trying to address. Even within our own state, lawmakers have been trying to push through partisan agenda issues Mm. um, because people are distracted. And so towns are trying to take advantage of it in their own ways, in their own budgeting, um, because people aren't able to come out to the public hearings. Maybe you're not able to do a Zoom. 
maybe you don't understand where the chat function is on Zoom. Zoom, you know, there's a lot of things hindering public participation. Mm -hmm. And so it's happening at your town level, at your state level. And this is great because it's really calling attention to it at the federal level. While we're all, you know, dealing with COVID, we're not going to let any, we're not going to let them decrease the price of oil, you know, drilled on federal lands. We're not going to let them start giving private oil companies space in our federal storage. Um, mm -hmm. So definitely something to pay attention and definitely just got to be aware if it doesn't pass more of these things, you know, related to oil or the environment or what have you, I mean, things are going to start sneaking through mm -hmm. without the most important part of a democracy, which is public opinion. Exactly. And I found researching that really valuable because I normally don't dive in that deep for pretty much any policy coming through. And it drew my attention to problems that I didn't even know existed. Um, and it's really good to then have that on my radar. And, you know, if it doesn't pass, which of course we hope it does. And I certainly encourage you and me and our listeners to sign a Greenpeace petition letter to Congress folk, which I don't know why I keep saying Congress folk, but I'm going to stick with it. I kind of like it. Um, yeah, that, <laughs> that link will be in the show notes if you're interested. And it also breaks down all those steps, like I said, in a different way. So you can kind of look over exactly what the act does um, and yeah, get familiar with it. Well, thank you, Sam. That was a delicious slice of policy <laughs> pizza. Well, thank you. All right, now it's time for this week's challenge. We'll see what Sam has in store for me. Um, I was told, uh, fitting with our big oil theme, that this relates to plastic. Plastic, petroleum, oil, it all works. Just trust me on that. <laughs> so, so Sam, what do you got for us? So we are definitely upping the challenge factor this week. I'm sure you're thrilled to know. Yeah, stoked. What's up? <laughs> the challenge this week is to do our weekly grocery shopping without buying food in plastic. Now, disclaimer, we are in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. So things that normally you could get without plastic, like bread or bagels or even cookies sometimes, like depending on where you shop, they, they don't do self-serve right now. So your bread is definitely going to have plastic. What type of fancy bread were you buying that didn't come in a plastic bag? You bougie mother <laughs> effer. You're just buying plasticless bread? Okay. Get, get Wonder Bread like the rest of us. Disclaimer, I haven't done that. I just know it's possible. Oh, okay, yeah. So Don't try to backtrack big bread now Sam. <laughs> all i know is that our you know pretty popular somewhat local chain there's like artisan bread in a cabinet and before covid you can go and grab it and put it in a paper bag but the paper bag taste still it and put it back just kidding <laughs> i've never sanitary. tasted bread and put it back now we're all suspicious um so i'm just disclaimer COVID exception is fine. I'm trying to think of anything I buy that doesn't come in plastic. 
because uh, even like cardboard boxes, you know, anything you buy like that, it's got a plastic bag on the inside. Really? So, yeah, Can like cereal buy? bags. Like oh, cereal. I was thinking of cereal. <laughs> Cereal, uh, eating a lot of Cheez-Its this quarantine, eating a Mm. lot of Mm Cheez-Its. Those are in a plastic bag uh, in a cardboard box. Nothing's just loose in a cardboard box. I was thinking of like mac and cheese. That's in a foil packet, so I guess that makes sense. The cheeses. I don't think that packet's recyclable, but like I'm just saying like the pasta's in the box. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So- Pasta is just in box, no plastic wrap. Although, um, I will say a lot of places have a plastic window in the cardboard box that you have to pull out before you recycle the cardboard box. Because, you know, you got to see what the pasta looks like. You can't trust the picture on the outside. You can't, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, so I'm trying to think. I also, I do a lot of shopping at Walgreens. I buy a lot of snacks. I'm a big snacker. And I feel like this is going to interfere with my snacks because all of it's in plastic. Yeah. Uh, every single thing from the nice brand chocolate covered almonds to the nice brand sunflower seeds. It's all in plastic. What am I going to do? Well, I will say this. Um, I personally um, am recovered from disordered eating, as in I've never been diagnosed with an eating disorder, but I had a problematic relationship with food and, you know, recovered now. But I need to acknowledge that whenever, if we ever do a challenge related to food, it's really important that we and any listeners who are interested in participating definitely prioritize self-care. So in this example, if you know without having your chocolate-covered almonds this week, it's going to become a thing. You're going to be thinking about them all the time. You're going to feel like restricted from those chocolate-covered almonds. You definitely need to get them even though they're in plastic. I That's think- all I've ever wanted to hear someone say, that I definitely <laughs> need to get them. <laughs> but truly, like, I know – well, what's nice about this is it is one week. And there's some things that I definitely would need to have frequently, but I can go a week without, without feeling like I'm restricting myself. Like if I knew I wasn't going to eat jalapeno kettle chips for a month, I would think about jalapeno kettle chips all the time. I wouldn't be able to sleep. (laughs) I wouldn't be able to eat other foods. I'd just be like jalapeno kettle chips. Where are you? I need you in my stomach. So, you know, the fact that it's just a week, just to kind of see what that's like, I think will make it easier for me at least to be like oh it's okay I'll have jalapeno kettle chips next week (laughs) yeah I can do it I can do it for a week but I do think when we go to the grocery store it's definitely going to make me more and by we I mean me and my boyfriend not me and Sam um we don't grocery shop together Um, she can have my compost but she can't see (laughs) me pick out my fruits um (laughs) so when we go to the grocery store I think it's definitely going to make me think about what we're picking up mm-hmm. um because yeah. also any any meats or proteins are in plastic yeah and that was a conversation so I had a, I checked with my husband because we have a pretty tight grocery budget and we shop at Aldi and like if there's an Aldi in your area and you're not shopping there 
shop at Aldi. It's so cheap. Actually, don't. I want their prices to go up. Nobody shop at Aldi. It's a secret. Only I'm allowed to shop there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we save a lot of money shopping there. Like, if we didn't shop there, I don't think we'd have dessert or snacks in our budget. But we can because everything's, like, reduced in price. But the issue is, like, basically everything is in packaging. Like, pretty much every vegetable or fruit and definitely all the meat and yeah it's it's all pretty much in plastic now unless you're getting something in like a steel can and I know that um Aldi doesn't have that like plastic lining on the inside of their cans they're actually just steel cans so that's great um, okay outside of that though <laughs> you're not you're not in a great situation as far as not having a lot of waste from your grocery trip. And I think part of the reason I wanted to do this is because I closely follow the zero waste movement and I myself am trying to be more low waste in my day to day. And one of the things that has always held me back is shopping without plastic. The goal is everything you get at the grocery store can be composted or recycled or reused in some way. And thin plastic bags around your bread and the little flimsy cereal thing and your bag of chips, all of that doesn't work. So I, knowing the budget and knowing just the challenge, I've avoided it. So that's why I'm really interested in doing it for like this one week, kind of documenting it, seeing if it actually is a lot more expensive. Like maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it wouldn't be. I feel like it will be, but maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Um, But yeah, and I've noticed the stores that tend to be less expensive. I feel like they have more packaging because Trader Joe's compared to our local chain, um, I feel like it's a bit cheaper. Some things are pretty comparable, but overall I can like save going to Trader Joe's compared and like all the veggies are wrapped in plastic. Like if you want fruit, especially the organic fruit, you're probably good. But like, besides that, good luck. Not happening. Um, (laughs) I will say Whole Foods, I know you can get meat from the butcher wrapped in parchment paper. I know that you can get cheese from like the specialty area wrapped in parchment paper. So like the most expensive grocery store we all know is probably the easiest place to do zero waste shopping. And I think that shows the level of privilege that the zero waste movement has. And I also know a lot of people will say, it's okay, anyone can do this. I think anyone could be low waste, but you kind of have to pick and choose where you're cutting out waste. You can't be across the board, no waste, unless you're like wealthy. And when you're wealthy, you got money to buy stuff. Like, why are you going to be doing that? (laughs) I think that's a great point. Like, especially if you're going to a place where even, where it's like low cost and even the fruits and vegetables wrapped in plastic like how are you supposed to make the right choice health-wise and environmental health-wise it's so hard that those things are like at odds with a budget mm-hmm. um so I definitely think this will be interesting I'm already thinking about my local grocery store and how it's probably going to take me two hours to go shopping <laughs> and I'm yeah I'm going to see what I can possibly get. It seems like everything's got a plastic bag in it. Not Pringles. Not Pringles. Hold on plastic, a second here. Plastic lid. 
<sighs> Got me again, plastic. <laughs> I thought I was on something. I thought I was just going to eat Pringles all week. Huh. Well, maybe you'll be surprised. Like, I, I can't think of anything, but maybe there you will come across a snack food that is just, like, in a cardboard box alone. You can, do shake. Also, you can shake it. Be like, it's I don't want to discredit plastic, though. So as someone who's in the recycling business, um, it's just like a lot of people are anti-plastic. And I just want to say plastic is a miracle material. Mm-hmm. Without plastic, people wouldn't have access to a lot of times bottled portable water. It would be in glass. It would be difficult to ship. It'd be heavy to ship. We wouldn't be able to get water bottles to people. IVs would be still in glass bottles mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to plastic bags, which can be easily swapped out. Plastic is super sanitary. So there's a reason it's on a lot of our foods. There's a reason it's in cardboard boxes because cardboard boxes get wet and you can't stop stuff from leaking in there. So you need Including, plastic like, on it. roaches, right? Like Pests can right. get in there, yeah. They can get through the seams of the cardboard. So plastic, I'm not, I'm not anti-plastic. I do think there's too much, and I'm very excited is not the word. But I'm going to try this challenge. But I will say, in some cases, plastic is one of the best things to ever happen. Regarding, especially in the medical industry, like the invention of plastic has made such a difference. Like you can open a brand new set of I don't know, like I go to the dentist and they open up the sterile packaging and yep. it's like, I'm assured, they're assured it's sterile. It's in a plastic thing. It definitely is. Um, that's so important. And like I said about like taking care of yourself regarding like food, like making sure you're not restricting something that you definitely want to eat. It's the same case. It's like health should come first. And I think it can be hard and really daunting to make environmentally conscious moves in your lifestyle because it feels like you are sacrificing something. And so I think what's really cool about these lifestyle challenges that we're doing is it's, it truly is an experiment. It's to see if it's doable, if we like it, if it's worth it. And I think we'll learn a lot this week about, honestly, I'm going to keep track of like pricing. I'm going to compare prices. I want to see like what I can or cannot get. Oh, and I'm kind of thrilled. I was telling my husband, like, we can just use meat from the freezer. Like we can cheat a little bit, you know? And he's like, no, I think we should do like one meal we normally would do, but like buy it without plastic. And I'm like, you know, that's actually kind of cool because then we can do a direct like price comparison and um, see how long it takes to do the shopping and all of that. And Yeah, I'm kind of excited. I'm also thrilled it's just one week because (laughs) I love Aldi (laughs) and um, I'll miss it this week. Yeah. All right. Well, I think this is a really good challenge. We'll see. We'll check back in. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. And if any of you listening are interested in trying out this challenge, um, be sure to tweet at us. Let us know. Send pictures. Let us know about your experience. You don't have Twitter, you can email us. Our Twitter and our email are in the show notes. Um, We would love to hear from you. And if you are liking these episodes so far, uh, we would love to get your feedback. You can leave a rating and review on wherever you're listening to this podcast. 
and feel free to email us feedback as well. Um, we got so much great feedback from listeners this past week, and I think we're just going to keep, you know, improving and growing and really learning a lot about making a podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, talk to you again next week. See you then. Bye. Bye.